Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. My name is John Keeley. This is the 379th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Dave Koopman, who is going to talk to us about the history of WOC Radio. The history buffs for today's show are Dave Baker and Terry Toplin. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. Our producer is engineer and uh, is David Baker. This is the opening segment of our show called History is Local, and today we're talking about the history of WOC Radio with author Dave Koopman. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be back. Yes. Nice to have you back. <laughs> so so we'll start with the easy one. Can you tell us how WOC came to be on the radio? Well, yes, I can. Uh, it started in about 1919 through a gentleman by the name of Robert Karlova. And he had received a, an amateur license, um, ham license, if you will, uh, the license was 9BY, and he ran the Young and McCombs department store radio department. So it seemed natural that uh, he played around with ham radio. At any rate, in February of 1922, he received a commercial license, and that license was WOC. Uh, at the same time, over at Palmer College, uh, B.J. Palmer's son, Dave Palmer, and some of his buddies got interested in ham radio, and they started a radio club, a uh, ham radio club, that is. And B.J. also did something that was uh, a little strange and maybe a first. He installed the very first western electric um what do you want to call it uh intercom system and he would broadcast uh around the school various lectures and at one of their homecomings he had an overflow crowd all over the school and it could be heard on this public address system and he thought wow that's a pretty neat idea well at the same time Carloa or Carlova uh, decided he couldn't make money with his little radio station, and he sold it to Dr. Palmer and the Palmer School of Broadcasting in March of 1922. And that's how, I guess you would say, WOC in Davenport got its start. Palmer moved the station from Rock Island to Davenport. And as time went on and the fact that he bought that station and wanted to get it really on the air to where a lot of people could listen to his lectures and to find out about chiropractic, uh, he installed a much larger transmitter. And in October of 1922, uh, he signed on the air with that greater-powered transmitter, 
and started programming, well, news and weather and lectures and musical concerts. And um, people could hear it. Uh, well, he was getting reports from Texas, from even Australia, that they could hear that station. At any rate, um, in 1928, the FCC did some realigning of... Uh, frequencies and they put WOC and WHO from Des Moines on the same frequency and strangely enough it was I guess one of the first uh, illustrations of split time broadcasting and then synchronizing their signals so the programs could be heard by both audiences and um, Palmer decided he didn't really like that whole idea. But at any rate, it continued on until about 1934. And uh, he took WOC, he split the two stations, and um, bought another station out in uh, western Iowa and had it move to Davenport and uh, put it on the air, and it was on uh, 1420. And that's pretty much how WOC really got embedded in Davenport, Iowa. Okay. Um, correct me, I've heard, and if I'm incorrect, please straighten it out. I heard that our uh, 41st president, Ronald Reagan, was a sports announcer for WOC. Is that true? And if it is, how did he get affiliated to be an announcer here? Well, that is true. And uh, Reagan decided that he wanted to uh, get into radio and be a sports broadcaster. And he had seen or heard of an uh, opening at WOC, and he came to Davenport from, uh, uh, let's see, Dixon, where was he it? living at the time? Um, was it Dixon, Illinois? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it was Dixon. And uh, at any rate, he came uh, and had a talk with WOC, and, and he found out that they had just filled the position. And um, strangely enough, do you know, I'll bet you don't know who they filled that position with. It was a gentleman uh, by the name of Ed Reimers. Does that ring a bell with anybody? No, it doesn't. Ed Reimers was the man that you used to see do the, uh, let's see, here in good hands with, was it State Farm or Allstate? Allstate. Yeah. Really? Well, that was the guy who got hired into the position that Reagan wanted to get into. And as he left the office and was walking down the hall, he said, geez, how does anybody get any experience, blah, blah, blah. And the program director heard him say that, and he said, uh, come here and give me an example of how you would do a sports broadcast. So as Ronald Reagan tells it, uh, he, he, in essence, he broadcast or announced the last season of the Dixon High School football team game that he played. 
and uh, the program director thought it was pretty good, so they hired him for $10 and sent him to Iowa City to do the uh, Iowa football game the next day. And that's how he got hired. Okay. <laughs> Another right. interesting story, as long as we're on Ronald Reagan. Another announcer at WOC, uh, Reagan asked him, gee, uh, is there anything I can do to be better? And the announcer said, well, you could probably find another, another kind of work. <laughs> <laughs> and the other announcer was a gentleman by the name, his real name was Hugh Hipple. And Hugh Hipple went to, eventually went to Hollywood and took the name Hugh Marlowe, the actor. And, of course, Hugh Marlowe was, I would call him a B-movie actor. And, of course, we know what Reagan did. Right. He was a B-movie actor who went into politics and became the president. Right. Yep. Um, Dave, in about two minutes, because that's what we've got left on the seg segment here. Sure. Um, at what point did WOC cease to be affiliated with Palmer at, at you know, in however that happened? Um, and then, so who who sort of took over it from there and and where kind of have things gone from that point? And again, you can kind of summarize and we can come back to it later. Yeah, it, uh, WOC kind of separated from Palmer, as it were, in 1986. But it really didn't separate because... Uh, Palmer wound up getting out of, uh, or Palmer Communications uh, got out of broadcasting. They sold the TV station and uh, also the radio properties. But uh, one of the daughters, Vicki Palmer, purchased the radio properties and renamed it Signal Hill Communications. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Okay, well, we'd like to uh, talk more about this, so please stay tuned to ROI. Um, uh, KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hi, hello, and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords, and this is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is author Dave Koopman, and we're going to be talking about the history of WOC Radio. Our history buffs for today are our own uh, producer, Dave Baker, and Terry Toppler. Dave, as an expert on all things radio, you get the first question. <laughs> I'm not an expert on all things radio, otherwise I'd own a radio station, but <laughs> no, uh, which would be a big pain, wouldn't it, Dave, actually? Yes, it would. Uh, um, but I, I want to ask, uh, Dave, I'm kind of curious about a couple of things, but first I'm going to ask about network affiliation. Now, when I grew up, I remember the uh, my earliest memories of WOC 
would have been the beautiful music uh, station, the the pure gold, as right. they call it, uh, pure gold music, WOC. Yeah, I remember that pretty well. And uh, I also um, am kind of curious, you know, what was what was the network like? I know they had NBC at uh, that time, but do you remember, or is there any recollection of uh, them being associated with any of the other big networks of the time back when they they first began? Well, when they uh, w- when networks first came in, which would have been around 1926, 27, uh, somewhere in there, and uh, they were associated with, in essence, what became NBC, but it was called the Blue Network. Mm-hmm. And when Palmer split from WHO in Des Moines, and uh, put WOC back on the air by itself. Uh, it was on, uh, or was with CBS. Is <laughs> I was surprised when I discovered that. But when they rejoined, uh, or I should say, they wound up rejoining NBC uh, within about a year and a half or two years uh, after they. Um, split away from WHO, and they were with NBC, well, for many, many, many years after that. Okay. Okay. Terry. Uh, Yes. Uh, Dave, you talked a little bit about earlier Ronald Reagan and then about Ed Reimers. Right. Interesting to note, um, Ed Reimers, um, for those Star Trek fans out there, he played Admiral Fitzpatrick. In 1967, on Star Trek, the Trouble with Tribbles segment. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> Great voice. So, my question actually leads us into today. Who are some of the radio stars of today on WOC, or or what are some of the shows that WOC carries? Well, uh, boy, you could go back uh, a number of years into the 40s and early 50s. Um, a couple of names that uh, well, maybe some of the older listeners might remember very easily would be George Sontag and Marge Minert. Uh, they were both on radio and on television, and they were the almost like the staff musicians there at WOC. Later on, you had, uh, well, let's see, uh, for radio you had a guy by the name of Jack Woods who was a very popular disc jockey, and that was in the, uh, well, mid-50s era. And uh, a little bit later on you had a guy named Doug Dahlgren who did the afternoon show on WOC, and after he got fired... He wound up, um, well, he wound up in a number of places, but he became a very top uh, DJ in Chicago and then out in, um, uh, let's see, it was the Oregon area. And uh, you had some great news people there. Uh, Bob Frank uh, was one of them. Hal Hart was a top sports guy, and that followed with... uh, um, Ed Zach and Wally Bowler. Uh, you had Bill Gress. You had Pat Sundin. You had a number of, of well-known and very popular uh, personalities on the station. Okay, Dave, I'm interested, particularly the, the early parts of radio where 
programming didn't really exist, and so you came up with your own programming. Um, do we have any of any examples of that at WOC? You talked about having sort of house musicians, but did we have the original programming, people trying to do comedy or people trying to do uh, theater kinds of things? Um, uh, was that part of what they did, or did they you know, just sort of glom on to somebody larger and use their uh, more nationalized shows? No, they did an awful lot of local stuff at the uh, toward the beginning, and um, uh, it might be local singers, it uh, you know a choir or something like that. It might be a musician, um, a somewhat locally known musician. It could be a church choir or a church organist, uh, and of course. Many people are aware that uh, B.J. Palmer traveled the world, and when he would come back, he would sit down in front of a microphone and maybe talk for an hour on where he had just been or uh, give a lecture on, uh, you know, some part of his world travels, as well as they would have, uh, in the case of the fact that it was owned as Palmer School of Chiropractic for a number of years until they, well, actually until they changed and bought WHO and then they called it uh, Tri-City Broadcasting and Central Broadcasting. But uh, they would have shows on uh, chiropractic, uh, lectures about it. And uh, later on, with a house band, so to speak, they had, and, and I've never quite understood this, why in, um, shall we say, in an urban area, although their signal definitely went out into the, the countryside, but why in an urban area Western music was so popular? They did have a house Western band at one time, that would come on at different times during the day and uh, play cowboy music. And then as the networks, of course, started to develop programming, they would uh, spend more time with the network than spend the money on their own in-house musicians. Okay, David. You know, uh, Dave, I, I was really blessed to have worked with Ed Zach, and I, I knew Ed pretty well. Uh, you mentioned him as, as one of the the pioneers at WOC that, that came along in the 50s and the 60s. And um, there was a unique relationship, I think, that WOC had with their television side and the radio side, more than any other station in the Quad Cities, because WQAD that came on in the 60s, it, they didn't really have a radio partner, uh, indeed, uh, that they would they shared a lot of the same programming uh, uh, talent with. No, and, they and, didn't. And, and WHBF, I don't, I don't ever sense they had that same relationship, uh, uh, the AM uh, radio station and the TV station, but WOC, sometimes... Uh, now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, would would you have a case where maybe an Ernie Mims might be doing a radio show on WOC and then go in and do the Captain Ernie show uh, later on in the afternoon, the, the kids show? Uh, maybe a, an Ed Zach might be doing a sports cast on WOC radio and then maybe have to be on TV that night. Is Was that kind of thing happening over there? Yes, it was. And, and uh, of course, with TV, when they put TV on the air... Um, 
they really didn't know what to do with it or, or what they could do with it. And uh, they took people who were on their the radio side and had them do things on the TV side. Uh, in some cases, uh, for instance, you mentioned Ed Zach, and yes, uh, Ed did. Uh, he was called the Morning Mayor and did a morning show, <laughs> and, and uh, later on became uh, program director. But he also crossed over and did sports. You had. Uh, Quite a few of the uh, announcers on radio do something on television. Usually it might be weather or sports on TV. Or in the case of Ernie Mims, he he went in on Sunday mornings and did, um, I can't remember exactly what they called him. He was like uh, Uncle Ernie the janitor or something <laughs> like that. And then later on went on to become Captain Ernie. But... Uh, uh, the gentleman who who was the staff artist and uh, film buyer, Ken Wagner, was uh, the original Captain Ken. Uh, they had another fellow named Wes Holly who did the cowboy cartoon showboat or show before Circle Five and Circle Six Ranch, and then uh, Bob Allard, who who was on the radio, became Cactus Jim. And did a TV show. <laughs> and, of course, the news people crossed over as well. That's fascinating. Terry. <laughs> yeah, Dave, I read that WOC is the oldest surviving broadcasting station in the middle Mississippi Valley. And that WOC also has other reported firsts, like first to keep programming logs and use of a fader panel. Can you talk about that? Sure. It, uh uh, and, and it's interesting, and I don't know if it was uh, B.J. Palmer's idea or if it was the engineers who he hired, but they kept track of a lot of things like how much electricity they used, uh, the voltage and current, uh, the voltages and currents that the um, transmitter put out, every, and they would log it every half hour. They were the first ones to do program logs, uh, write down exactly when the program started. And uh, the fader was the first. They built the first fader, which allowed multiple microphones to be used in the same studio or in the same room. Um, WOC was famous for a lot of firsts that wound up becoming a standard practice in broadcasting. And I don't think uh, many people knew where a lot of those ideas or those rules originated, and it was at WOC. Okay, um, Dave, we have about uh, four minutes or so left of our of our segment here, um, and I'm going to start out because I also hope to get Dave Baker in on this. Um, we usually end this segment by by asking our guest. Um, what do you think, why do you think knowing about the history of WOC radio is relevant in today's world? So I'd like you to take a swing at that question, and then Dave Baker, if you'd be willing to jump in on that as well, I would love that. Well, I think the easy answer is the fact that uh, it's very relevant, the history is very relevant because of the number of firsts that uh, the station produced as far as uh, rules of broadcasting, uh, the idea that, uh, for that matter, that they 
uh, were the first station, the first commercial station uh, in Iowa and west of the Mississippi, although they weren't necessarily the very first licensed station west of the Mississippi. Um, but it, maybe the biggest one is it gave Ronald Reagan his start in showbiz. Well, I think that uh, WOC is relevant for many purposes. First of all, its legacy, as Dave very eloquently has pointed out, all of the great things that WOC did through the years and the first, the station carried on and continued as uh, in the 1980s and did a switch away from music and recognized that uh, on AM radio, talk was going to be the king. And so WOC kind of pioneered that. In fact, Charles King, who recently passed away uh, several years ago, but Charles was a host on WOC. He actually hosted the very first nighttime. There was a nighttime talk show in 1968, and Charles King was the the host of that. And he said it was kind of wild and woolly. It was a very late night talk show. And he said the topics were kind of crazy back in the 60s. But uh, so WOC was a pioneer in that way. And uh, the legacy is left today because even though some of the programming, it's not necessarily all local. There's there's a lot of localism yet, but the, the national topics are being met. And WOC is still on the air, 5,000 watts uh, broadcasting 24-7. Well, and I guess I'm going to chime in there too, not not having the expertise of either of the Daves, but just as a as a kid, um, you know, I just the idea that that you had a radio station that had lasted that long in in the United States, we rarely seem to hold on to things, and so just that you have this legacy of of sort of continuous um, broadcasting. There's so much institutional history. Uh, sort of wrapped up in that station that I'm I'm at least very very glad that it's still there and still running um, and still maintaining that tradition Um, when we come back we're going to wrap things up so please stay tuned this is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University 106.1 FM you're listening to relevant or irrelevant This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 379th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapsapital. My name is Jay Swords, and we would like to thank our guest, author Dave Koopman, who talked with us about the history of WOC Radio. Our history buffs for today's show were uh, Dave Baker and Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. 
we would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsa Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Thank you.